Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 6. This is God's Word. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. What, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the seventh day. It is a day of rest. It is a day set apart by God all the way back at creation. Because when God made everything, he did it in six days. And on the seventh, we read that he rested. But he didn't just rest himself. He set a pattern for all of us through all of time. All of us are given by God a day off. It's not something where, eh, if you want to take a day off, you can. God says, I want you to rest. When we do this, when we live in that pattern, then what happens is we are reminded every week that God is the one who created all things, including us. 
Humanity is his creation. You didn't evolve from slime. You're not just a lucky bunch of cells. You are God's design. God made man from the earth, from the basic elements of dirt. God made the first man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so we are reminded of the creation and the fact that it all ultimately belongs to God and that we are supposed to be stewards of the creation, but that we don't have to work all the time in order to try and make sure that things turn out okay and that we've got enough every week. Whether you're rich or poor, young or old, you take a day off. Independence on God as an act of worship toward God. This passage illustrates that the point of the Sabbath is not about following a bunch of rules. The point of the Sabbath is about worshiping God and living in dependence on Him. But again, it's not something that's optional. It is something that's commanded. The problem with these religious leaders in Jesus' day was that they had completely missed the point of the Sabbath. And they spent the Sabbath trying to make sure they didn't do anything that violated an extremely long list of complicated rules that were not in the Scriptures. God said you're not to work on the Sabbath. Well, so they had to decide what is work. What would constitute work? And I kid you not, this is an actual comparison of two things from rabbinic law. If you find that you have dropped your handkerchief on the floor, let's say your face mask on the floor, and you say, oh, this belongs upstairs in my room. So you pick it up and carry it up the stairs and put it in your room. You've just violated the Sabbath. Because that's work. You're carrying a load. You're carrying a burden. Well, the thing, you know, it weighs just a, an ounce. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are carrying it. Well, then what can we do? I, I don't want to just leave it there. Oh, you don't have to leave it there. If you will pick it up and put it on, then you can walk up the stairs, and when you get to your room, you can take it off. And that's perfectly fine, because you weren't carrying it, you were wearing it. Well, what if it's heavier, like a, a coat or something? Well, as long as you put it on and wear it up the stairs, it's okay. Well, what if it's my sleeping bag? You just have to wear it. You put it over your shoulders like a shawl, and you can wear it up the stairs and then put it back in your room, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't violate any rules. Well, what if it's like not just a sleeping bag, but like a mattress? It's okay, as long as you will put yourself under it and wear it up the stairs, that's okay. I didn't make that up. That's rabbinic tradition. That is the kind of rules that these folks had invented 
and we're trying to force on others. Absolute absurdity. To think that somehow we are pleasing God and making ourselves better than other people because we observe a whole bunch of rules that God didn't give us. Here at the ranch, we have rules. If it's not yours, don't touch it. If you're going to borrow something, you need to not only get permission from that person, but you need to get permission from the people who are overseeing you so that there's not a quarrel down the road about, well, he said I could borrow it. I did not. Well, who knows? Okay? But if you have to get permission from the adult in order to borrow things, then I didn't say you could take that. And the house parent or the mentor says, actually, yes, you did. Do you remember you came and you made an agreement? Now, let me ask you a question. Do we want people to think of the ranch rules, take your shoes off when you go into the house? Do we want people to think of those as being God's rules? Absolutely not. We go to great pains, including what I'm doing right now, in order to remind you that those are rules we have adopted in order to make our life together easier. But when you go out into the world, you do not have to have all those rules. Well, can you give us an example of God's law? I'm so glad you asked. Do not lie. Well, I mean, I know that's a big deal at the ranch. You make a big deal out of that all the time. You're always talking about it. Well, one of the reasons we make a big deal out of it here at the ranch is because that's not one of our rules. That's one of God's rules. Let, let me give you another just very simple one that you're all supposed to have memorized. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. That's pretty simple, straightforward, and it is drawn from the Word of God. Study from Genesis to Revelation, and you will find nothing that contradicts that and tons that explain, oh, that's where they got that. There's God's law, and then there's man's law. So which one do I have to obey? Well, if you disobey man's law, you're going to get in trouble with man. If you disobey God's law, you're in trouble with God. One more point here. All of us have disobeyed God's law. We haven't just disobeyed man's law. All of us have disobeyed God's law. That's called sin. And the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why all of us need a Savior. Now some people say, well, everybody sins, nobody's perfect, I mean, it's no problem. That's garbage. That is a lie. You see, even though you and I are not perfect, the one who gives the law and who is the judge is perfect. I mean, if sin really is a big deal, if disobeying God really is a big deal, then oh, what are we to do? We're to put our trust in Jesus as the one who came to save sinners. He died on the cross to bear the wrath that we deserve, to take the penalty that we deserved, so that we could be completely forgiven. Not put on probation. Not given a second chance. Having the slate wiped completely clean. All of our sins buried in the deepest sea. Put as far as east is from west. God says he remembers them no more. 
Wow! Not only that, but we're not just put at ground zero. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to our account. We're rich. God views us in terms of the righteousness of His Son. He doesn't see you and say, well, okay, I guess I'm not going to throw him in hell. He says, I want you to spend forever with me. I love you more than you can imagine. I love you with an everlasting love. That is what the gospel is all about. Now, it is in that context that we need to understand this passage. On the Sabbath day, Jesus' disciples are walking through a grain field. That's permitted. Permitted by God and permitted by these religious nuts. But the disciples did something scandalous. They were hungry. So they just began pulling some heads of grain, rubbing them like this in their hand, and then popping the kernel, the good part, in their mouth. Just to get a little nourishment, a little sustenance. They weren't out there with a scythe harvesting somebody's field. They were just pulling off some heads of grain, like you might pick a cherry from a tree or an apple as you walk along. Okay? But see, to these religious people, that was work. These were the same people who were upset that Jesus and his disciples would eat a meal at Matthew's house, because Matthew was a sinner. They didn't recognize that they were sinners. They thought they were so good at keeping all the rules that they were righteous. Those people are bad. And Jesus had told them, you know, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. And people who know they're sinners hear the call. The people who are still trying to defend themselves and pretend that they are perfect, they don't understand that they desperately need Jesus, that they desperately need a Savior that they stand under the death penalty because of their own rottenness until they recognize their rottenness and cry out to God for mercy. So these guys, the religious, see what Jesus' disciples are doing and they say, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus could have responded any number of ways and it would have been legit, but he only said what the Father told him to say. And so what he says to them is, have you never read what David did? Now please notice the first words in that question. Have you never read? Do you know what Jesus did over and over and over with these experts on the law? He directed them back to the Bible. They were so focused on their books, their scrolls of rules the teaching of this rabbi, the teaching of this rabbi, the teaching of this rabbi, the teaching of this rabbi. They were ignoring the word of God. And Jesus would say to them on another occasion, you err because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. Now please let me hasten to point out, Pharisees memorized large quantities of scripture. All the Jews memorized scripture, but the Pharisees were the honor roll of students. They had large quantities of Scripture along with large quantities of these man-made laws that they had committed to memory. But Jesus said, have you never read? How did Jesus answer Satan when he was tempted? With Scripture. How does Jesus answer these critics, these Pharisees, with Scripture? 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. Taking the consecrated bread, he ate what's only lawful for the priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Well, well, David wasn't perfect. No, he wasn't, but he's your big hero. You think he's great. You don't understand. I'm the promised one. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They didn't know who they were dealing with. These guys are trying to instruct Jesus and his disciples about how to observe the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who invented the Sabbath because Jesus is God. They haven't caught on. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. You could see the man's problem. Everybody could see it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there trying to learn all they could from Jesus. No, they were there and they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said that before. He always knows what you're thinking. Don't ever think you can put one over on God. Well, if I say this, he won't know that what... He knows. He knew before you were born what you were going to be thinking right at this moment. So Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. You see, they were watching closely because they thought Jesus might heal the guy, but in kind of a sneaky way so that they wouldn't be able to say for sure that it was Jesus. They'd just know all of a sudden the guy's going to get well, and that would just horrify them. What if this man gets well on the Sabbath and we can't blame Jesus? I mean, is that a perverted way to think? That's what legalism leads to. That's what a sinful heart of pride leads to. You're looking for a basis to be offended. You're looking for a reason to be upset. We're living in a culture that is filled with people who are always offended. These guys were targeting Jesus, and they were thinking he might heal that guy, because we can all see he's got a problem. So he might heal that guy. Watch closely. See if he does it. See if he walks by and just kind of touches the guy, and his hand gets well, and then we'll nail him. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called the man up front so that everybody could see. He said, stand here. The guy obeyed. We've said it before. I'll say it again. God works his miracles in the context of obedience. Jesus said to the man before he healed him, come up here. The man came up, stood in front of them all, and then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? God's law specifically said, if you've got an animal that is in trouble on the Sabbath, it falls into a ditch or is somehow in distress, not only can you rescue that animal, which is work, but you must. And if you see somebody else's animal, you're supposed to help. God had spoken to this. This wasn't something, I don't know, I've never thought about that. Is it, is it lawful to do evil or to do good on the Sabbath? We know the answer to that question. They knew the answer to that question. Is it okay to save life? Well, uh, yes. Uh. Well, if that's the case, 
He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand, a second command. Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Now, is that fabulous? Jesus miraculously, instantaneously heals this man. And so the Pharisees said, oh wow, I guess we, we didn't think this through. Clearly this guy is from God because he's doing these miraculous things. And this man who's got a shriveled hand because he's had a stroke or what some other problem, I mean, obviously the hand is atrophied and, and we could all see it. And now it's, it's, the man's completely healed. So obviously this is God's work. No. Not only did they not put their faith in Jesus, they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Mark chapter 3 verse 6 tells us that in their discussion, they actually were plotting how to kill Jesus. Now that's, they're doing something that God's law forbids because they're so angered by what God has just done in front of them. They're plotting murder. Why? Okay, I'm going to tell you something that is not popular. The unregenerate, that means not yet born again, heart of man, hates God. The Bible says in our natural state, we are at enmity against him. That means we are by nature God's enemies. Is there any hope for that? Yes. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came and began changing the hearts of people who were his enemies. And one of the most fabulous examples of that in all of human history is Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle. Because on his way to do more harm to Christians, God confronted him and changed him and gave him new birth. Man is not basically good. There are people who like to comfort themselves with that myth. They like to think that, you know, well, if you, if you really look down deep, people basically are good. Not true? If you have not recognized that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior and that Jesus is your only hope, then the default position of your heart is going to be continued hostility toward the truth, toward the God of the Bible, toward God's Word itself. You are going to find it offensive for somebody to tell you what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to believe. I want to be in a place where everybody's free to do their own thing. Well, good luck with that. This life is going to be over like that. And all of us are going to stand before God, who is the righteous judge. And the only hope for anybody to avoid the fires of hell is to be trusting in God's mercy and grace and wanting to do His will. So I would ask you once again, have you come to the point of recognizing that you too have sinned and that you need a new heart. You need for Jesus not only to forgive you, 
but to change you. Because he will do that. And when he does, you will want to do what he wants. It doesn't mean that everything he says is going to be like, oh yeah, I like that. It's going to be sometimes like, oh really? Well, if that's what he says, then that's what I need to do. And you'll want to. Not so that you avoid hell, but because he has saved you and you are grateful and you are learning to love him. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.